0: for that. A reporter once asked a successful what the secret to his success was, and the bank president said two words, right decisions. Well, that didn't really fill up an article space, so the reporter asked, how are right decisions made? And the bank bank president responded one word, experience. The reporter was getting a little frustrated. So I said, well, how do you get experience? And the bank president said, two words, wrong decisions. (laughs) Your life is ultimately a series of decisions. Sometimes we make the right decisions. Sometimes we make the wrong decisions. And the ultimate goal is to learn how to consistently make the right decisions. And I think there's something important about decision-making for us to learn from the first chapter of the book of Ruth. Now, I need to say something here. Stan, I am not doing this lesson because I don't think you're doing adequate job in your Sunday morning Bible class. Actually, it was your Sunday morning Bible class a couple weeks ago that spurred me to do this lesson uh, because it reminded me of of this subject matter. But in the, the story of Ruth, we focus on this wonderful relationship between Ruth and her mother-in-law. We focus on this love that's demonstrated uh, in in her actions and in her decisions, and and that tends to be the focus. But if you really study the first chapter of Ruth, the first chapter opens with two very big decisions. One was a poor decision that resulted in some devastating consequences, and the other was a, a wise decision that resulted in a wonderful reward. And from the two decisions that you see in Ruth chapter one, we learn the most important factor for making wise decisions. And so this morning, that's going to be our attention. Our attention is going to be on the two decisions of Ruth chapter one. So if you wanna turn there with me, that will be the focus of our study today. And it's in Ruth chapter 1, the first two verses, that you're going to uncover the very first decision. And let's read just those two verses together very quickly. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Now this book of the Bible is called Ruth, but Ruth's story does not start with Ruth. Ruth's story... Begins with a guy named Elimelech, and more specifically, with the decision he makes here in the very first verse of the book. Ruth chapter 1 and verse 1 tells us that Elimelech moved because there was a famine in the land. Elimelech decided to relocate. That's the first big decision here. Elimelech decided to relocate. Now, You need to understand something about famines. To the Israelites, famines weren't just insignificant coincidences. They didn't take famines lightly. And that's because according to Mosaic Law... Famines were a curse incurred by the people for abandoning God. If you'll hold your spot there in Ruth chapter 1 and jump back to Deuteronomy chapter 28, I want you to notice something that the Lord says in Deuteronomy chapter 28. In the first 12 verses of that chapter, Moses speaking on behalf of the Lord said, If you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, and then he goes on to Speak a little bit more about it. And if you skip down to verse 12, he says, here's the result. The Lord will open to you his good treasury, the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season and to bless all the works of your hands. So if you obey God, if you keep his commandments, if you follow his word, if you do what he says, he's going to make sure your land is taken care of. Now skip down to verse 15 of Deuteronomy chapter 28. This is where Moses outlines what happens if you don't do what God says. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Skip down to verse 22 as he identifies some curses. The Lord will strike you with, among other things, drought, blight, mildew. And in verse 23 he says, and the heavens over your head shall be bronze and the earth under you shall be iron. In other words, God, through Moses, told the Israelites, hey, if you obey me, I'm going to take care of you. If you don't obey me, there's going to be some consequences. And one of the named consequences here is essentially famine. So in the eyes of the Israelites, this famine, like all other famines, was a judgmental act of God for the sins of the Israelites throughout the period of the judges. You didn't catch that right. The whole book opens up with a reference to the book before it, to the era of the judges. That's when these events are unfolding. And it's in this period of the judges that this famine strikes, and Elimelech says, Hey, we can't stay here and sustain ourselves. We've got to relocate. We've got to move. Now, you you might actually sympathize with Elimelech here. Probably Elimelech moved because he thought he was out of options, that in order to provide for and protect his family, he had to go somewhere else where there was a better economy, where he could actually put food on the table. You can't really blame a guy for wanting to provide for his family, but here's the thing. If Elimelech knew biblical history, and I think he did because Elimelech's name means my God is the king, so his family named him something that spoke about their faith, If Elamelech really knew biblical history, then he knew that every time one of the patriarchs left the promised land during a famine, something bad happened. You can go back to to, uh, Abraham, or Abram at the time. When he arrived in the promised land, a famine struck, and guess what? Oh, there's grass over there in Egypt. Let's go there. And when Abram made that choice... He lied about his relationship with Sarai, which nearly resulted in a sexually immoral relationship between Sarai and Pharaoh, as well as the unintentional dissolution of their marriage. And then you can go to Abram's son, Isaac. He too experienced a famine. And he left Canaan and went to Gerar to uh, ride out the famine, and in Gerar, like his father, he lied about his relationship with Rebekah, which could have potentially resulted in the immoral pursuit of Rebekah by one of the men of the town, and Isaac was chastised harshly by Abimelech for that lie. And then you can even look at Jacob, Abram's grandson, Isaac's son. Famine came to the land, and he sent his sons to search for food in Egypt, and, and, and though They end up moving to Egypt, and it ends up working out because, hey, the family's reunited. We forgot Joseph was down there, and and, hey, uh, we're able to live and thrive here and have prosperity. The eventual result was 400 years of slavery. You see, every time one of the patriarchs relocated from the promised land to somewhere else, something negative happened. And now Ruth chapter 1 and verse 1 tells us that Elimelech's choosing to sojourn in Moab. That word sojourn suggests that he intended to just wait out the famine for a little bit. Just spend a little bit of time there and then return back home to Bethlehem. But if you look at verse 2, that sojourning all of a sudden turned into remaining. Because Ruth chapter 1 and verse 2 says he remained in Moab. He didn't just visit for a little while. He set up his home. And that implies that Elimelech and his family planted themselves in Moab for an extended period of time. In fact, Ruth chapter 1 and verse 4 tells us that they were there for at least a decade. See, Elimelech makes a big decision here. He decides to move. And that decision was Problematic. See, Ruth chapter 1 verse 1 tells us that Elimelech went to sojourn in the country of Moab. I've mentioned Moab a few times already, but this is more significant than I've let on so far. See, Elimelech didn't just move to another part of the promised land. He didn't just move to another, uh, another city that was part of the Israelite inheritance. No, he moved out of God's territory. He relocated to a community that didn't recognize the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. In fact, Moab was one of Israelite's most despised neighbors because it was the Moabites who descended from that incestuous relationship between Lot and his daughters after Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. It was the Moabites under the leadership of Balak who summoned Balaam to pronounce a curse on the Israelites as they passed through their land. And it was the Moabites who, based on the advice of Balaam, sent their women into the Israelite camp, to seduce the Hebrew men and thereby bring a curse on Israel that resulted in a plague that killed 28,000 of them. And it was the Moabites under King Eglon that oppressed the Israelites for 18 years during the time of the judges. And it was the Moabites who were expressly excluded from the Israelite assembly according to Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verse 3. These guys are bitter, horrible neighbors to Israel that Israel can't stand. The point is that Moab would would be the last place any faithful Israelite would want to relocate. But that's not what ultimately makes Elimelech's decision problematic. The problem with Elimelech's decision might actually be what he didn't do. Nowhere does the text say that Elimelech consulted with God before making his decision. Nowhere does Elimelech seek God's guidance before he moves. And this is worth mentioning because people in the Bible frequently got themselves into trouble because they failed to consult with God. I've already mentioned Abram going to Egypt. That time he lied about his relationship with his wife, he didn't consult with God before he moved. He didn't ask God if that was okay, if that was part of God's will. Or think about Samson. Samson decided to tell Delilah the source of his strength, and he did so without consulting God, and it cost him his freedom. When David initially decided to relocate the Ark of the Covenant, he did so without consulting God, and it took a man's life. You see, when men in the Bible make decisions without consulting God, many times it leads to some horrible consequences. Now you may want to contend that just because we don't read about Elimelech not consulting God doesn't mean it didn't happen, but I want you to notice one of the pieces of background information that we're given in Ruth chapter 1 and verse 1. We're told that these things happened in the days when the judges ruled. Now, according to Judges chapter 2 and verses 12 through 20, after Joshua died, the Israelites got caught in this this cycle of rebelling against God, of, of, of igniting God's wrath, of God then punishing them via enslavement to another nation, them crying out to God for him to rescue them, God ultimately rescuing them through the presence of a judge, and then being faithful to God for a little while while the judge was still alive and then eventually reverting back to rebellion against God. This happened over and over again. So the time of the judges was not a great time in the history of Israel. In fact, the very last line of the book of Judges, the very last words of the book of Judges are these. In those days, there was no king in Israel Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's Judges chapter 21, verse 25. Do you know what comes next? Ruth chapter 1, and verse 1. Elimelech's story begins where Judges' story ends. With everyone doing what was right in their own eyes. And I believe those words stated at the end of the book of Judges summarize the mindset of Elimelech at this moment. Elimelech did what was right in his own eyes, not what was right in the Lord's eyes. And by failing to consult God, Elimelech removed God from the decision-making equation. And that's ultimately why I believe Elimelech's decision was problematic, but also why it was consequential. Going back to Ruth chapter 1, look at verse 3 through 5 for a moment. There, after Elimelech has made the decision to relocate. Here's what we read. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about 10 years and both Malon and Kilion died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. See, when Elimelech moved to Moab, he didn't just move his family away from God's land. He moved his family away from God's worship. I want you to think about that for a moment. Where in Moab was Elimelech's family going to assemble with other worshipers of Yahweh? There was no tabernacle or synagogue in Moab. Where in Moab was Elimelech's family going to hear the reading and teaching of the Torah? There were no scribes with access to those sacred scrolls in Moab. There were no copies of God's word in Moab. Where in Moab was Elimelech's family going to make sacrifices to Yahweh? There was no altar of burnt offering in Moab. There were no priests to oversee those sacrifices in Moab. You see, Elimelech's decision to move in order to avoid a physical famine actually resulted in his family experiencing a spiritual famine. And this is evidenced by the fact that God is never mentioned in the first five verses of the book of Ruth. But do you know what is mentioned a good bit? Death and barrenness. The unspoken but assumed implication of those details is that Elimelech's family suffered some familial consequences from his poor decision to relocate. His decision, without God's consultation, to relocate. See, that's the first decision that's made in the book of Ruth. It's the decision that ultimately brings Ruth into the equation, but it was a poor decision with consequences. So let's talk about the other decision that's made. It's a decision that's made by Naomi, and if you look at Ruth chapter 1 verse 6 and 7, you'll see that decision. Ruth chapter 1 verse 6 says, Then Naomi arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. What Naomi's doing here, she's making the decision to return. She's choosing to backtrack. Now her decision seems to be prompted by two factors. She, she now faces old age without a husband and without children to care for her, sons in particular, and in the male-dominated society of the ancient Near East, that was a sentence to poverty. And so part of her issue here is she's got to find a way to survive. But it's also worth noting that in the text we just read, she had heard that the Lord had brought an end to the famine. She had heard that the Lord was active and present. She had heard about the Lord again. And so she makes a critical decision. She decides that she doesn't have to stay where she is, that she can return home. So she decides to backtrack. Now, we don't usually use the term backtrack in a positive sense. We typically associate it with reversing a position or trying to uh, correct something we said erroneously, but backtracking simply means to retrace one's steps. So in the context of Naomi's story, I think it's presented as an appropriate decision-making process. What happens to Naomi is that she realizes something's not right in her life, and as a result, she's experiencing only pain and misery and regret. So she decides to retrace the decisions that led to her miserable situation and retract them. And as she looks back on things, she realizes, all right, all this horrible stuff started when we left where we were supposed to be. So let's go back. Let's return to our home. Do you know what the conditions for a famine's end were according to the book of Deuteronomy, according to Mosaic Law? If you skip over or back up to Deuteronomy chapter 30 and you read the first three verses, you'll find out that God told the Israelites, when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind and return to the Lord your God and obey his voice, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you. So it's in Deuteronomy 28 that we read earlier in this lesson where we saw that God said, if you obey, then I'm going to send rain from heaven. I'm going to take care of you. If you don't obey, then guess what? I'm going to dry it up and your land's going to go into a famine. Two chapters later in Deuteronomy 30, he says, but here's the thing. If you're experiencing these blessings or these curses, if you've experienced them, And you remember what I told you. And if you've gone away from me and you return to me. And you obey me again. Then I'm going to have mercy on you. I'm going to restore your fortunes. But it's all conditioned on the return. It's all conditioned on Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 2, Return to the Lord your God. It's conditioned on repentance. Because repentance is a change of direction. And what Naomi is doing is she's reversing the direction that her husband Elimelech had taken the family in the first place. Naomi's decision was to return. And let's be honest, it was not an easy decision. Returning is always a difficult decision. Look at what is said in Ruth chapter 1, verse 19 through 22 about her decision. Ruth chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now when you listen to Naomi's words, it can initially sound like she's blaming God for the things that have happened to her. But I don't think she's blaming God. I think she's acknowledging that she's endured the consequences of some really bad decisions. That she's suffering because this is what God said would happen. I think she's admitting She's admitting that Elimelech's decision to relocate had some horrible consequences for her family. And I think that's part of a penitent mindset. But it's not an easy, it's not an easy thing to do. To admit that you've done something wrong, it's never easy. You know why? Because all of us, to some degree, have this little thing inside of us called pride. And we really like it. We don't want to have to give that up. We want to hold on to that. But when it comes, when it comes to our decisions, and especially our decisions as they relate to our relationship with the Father, pride comes before a fall. So you better be willing to give up your pride. Pride. Naomi comes back humiliated. Naomi comes back defeated. She comes back wounded. She doesn't come back prideful. She doesn't come back saying, hey, man, we've been living in Moab. It's great over there. She doesn't come back saying, hey, why didn't y'all come with us? She doesn't come back with a better-than-thou mentality of, hey, I got to go live over there for a while, and now I get to come back when the grain's growing again. I've got the best of both worlds. You should be more like me. No. She comes back and says, you can't call me Naomi anymore. By the way, Naomi meant pleasant. That was the meaning of her name. She's like, don't call me that anymore. Call me Mara, which means bitter. She's coming back acknowledging That things haven't gone the way they should. And she's having to swallow her pride in the process. And here's the most beautiful part of the story. While Naomi's decision to return was difficult, it was also rewarded. Let me explain what I mean. If you study Ruth from this point forward, you're like, rewarded? What, What are you talking about? She's lost her husband. She's lost her sons. She had to part with one of her daughters-in-law. She's now living at or below the poverty line as her daughter-in-law is having to go out to the fields and scrape up leftover grain that has fallen and not been picked up by the uh, employees of a particular landowner. How is she rewarded? To understand that, You actually have to go to the end of the book. So skip over to Ruth chapter 4. Look at verse 16 and 17. The way the story of Ruth plays out is that Ruth, Naomi's daughter-in-law, stays with her to care for her and help her. And then Naomi realizes that Ruth could marry a relative of theirs in keeping with Leverett Law and therefore provide for the family's future. And Ruth does just that. And Ruth ends up marrying a guy named Boaz, and they have a child. And it's in Ruth chapter 4, verse 16, we're told that Naomi took the child, laid him on her lap, and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. If you're an Israelite, those last four words give you chill bumps because it means that God made Naomi a part of the most important story in Israelite history. And if you're a Christian, those last four words should give you chill bumps because it means that God made her a part of the most important story in salvation history. Because as many of you know. David is among the lineage of Jesus. And if you go to Matthew chapter 1 and you read that genealogy, you'll see Ruth's name there. Naomi's name's not there, but you don't have Ruth in the story if you don't have Naomi. You don't have Ruth in that genealogy if Naomi doesn't make the decision to return home. You don't have Ruth in that genealogy unless Naomi is willing to make that difficult but necessary decision to return. So here we are. Two decisions made in Ruth chapter 1. Elimelech makes the decision to relocate. Ruth makes the decision to return. Elimelech's decision comes with consequences. Naomi's decision is rewarded. Elimelech's decision lacks consultation with God. Naomi's decision is in keeping with the Word of God. So what's the difference between their decisions? Hopefully you've already figured it out because I just spelled it out for you. I'm kind and merciful like that. The difference between their decisions is that one made her decisions with the Lord's will in mind and the other did not. Elimelech didn't take into consideration what God wanted for him. Naomi did. When she heard that the Lord had returned to Bethlehem, she automatically goes, I need to go back to the Lord. I need to return to the Lord. If you and I want to stop making the bad decisions, the wrong decisions, the mistake-oriented decisions, this is where we begin. By making decisions that are in keeping with the will of the Lord. I want you to notice this verse as we bring this to a close. It's James chapter 4, verse 13 through 15, where James says, "'Come now, you who say today or tomorrow "'we will go into such and such a town "'and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. "'Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. What's James's point? It's very simple. James's point is that God's will needs to be factored into our decision making process. No matter what decision we're working on, we need to consider whether or not it fits into the parameters of God's will. Naomi did that, Elimelech didn't. Elimelech brought consequences, Naomi received reward. And my guess is that right now, we've got a few Elimelechs tuning in. Whether you're sitting in this audience or joining us online, there are some people listening right now who have relocated who have moved, who have distanced themselves from where they ought to be. Maybe you've just moved away from the place where God has prioritized in your life and in your family. You saw greener pastures via your hobbies or your child's extracurricular activities or your, uh, or your job or your relaxation or your financial accumulation. Or maybe you've stopped consulting with God when it comes to your decisions and and, and you give greater consultation to the stock market or your political party or your social media account or whatever reality TV show is popular right now. Let's be honest, there's some Elimelech's in here. And there's some Elimelech's out there. Elimelech never got to return home. Elimelech never got to see his grandson. Elimelech never got to know life in the promised land without a famine again. And if you're an Elimelech, the best thing you can do right now is become a Naomi. Become someone who will choose to return to the place where God is. Because there is no greater decision you can ever make than to return to the Lord. And this morning, as we gather here as a family, a spiritual family, who has suffered its own setbacks, its own challenges, its own tragedies. Among this audience, there are numerous people suffering and struggling just like Naomi was. And we're here serving as an extension, if you will, of home. An outpost of the kingdom right here in Buford. And it may just be that it's time for you to come home. And we want to invite you to do so today. Today. If you need to return home, won't you come all together we stand and sing?